Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're so glad you are joining us today. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is guided along by your questions on the Bible. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. You can send in your Bible questions through multiple online platforms where we're streaming live. I'll be going over those in a moment. And we have some <clears throat> guests here and a host that's choking for no reason. <laughs> we have, if I make it it's through eating the all that rye crisp right before <laughs> yeah. air with snacks. nothing to drink. It's the off-air snacks, that's right. Um, it's, yeah, it's bleak out here in the desert. Uh, but we have guests here who love to um, help you navigate your Bible questions with the help of the Bible itself. So if you have a question, maybe there's a verse or passage of Scripture that is confusing to you. You come across it in your, in your study and like, what on earth does that mean? How does that apply to my life? Maybe something you're going through in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective. What would God say about your circumstances? Maybe even other religions. Maybe you're kind of on the outside looking in, wondering what Christianity is all about, what the Bible says about certain things how the Bible came to be, um, how the, the world and the universe came to be. Any question like that, as long as we can give you an answer from Scripture, that's what we're here to do. And, and please, uh, honest and sincere questions. As long as it's an honest and sincere question, then any question is fair game uh, for us here on A Reason for Hope as we help you navigate the Word. So a uh, very warm welcome again to you all. Send your questions in. We'd love to uh, navigate them here today. I'll be going over those platforms in just a moment. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today. Today we have father-son team, Pastor Scott Richards, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you fellas doing? Doing great. Always good, good to be here. Yeah, it's good to talk about you. the word. I know. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. Thank oh, you for your faithfulness awesome. to it and for your years of study and your diligence in that that we get to benefit from. We certainly appreciate it. Well, as I mentioned, a reason of hope. It's a live broadcast. We are live. Live as can be. Anything can happen. Even choking your way through the intro. Uh, we're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So keep that in mind. That will help you find us, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you are in the Tucson area, uh, you're welcome to come along if you're looking for somewhere to worship and get in the Word. Somewhere to go to church, basically. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. CalvaryChristianFellowship.com is our website. You can have a look around there for some more information or reach out to us. If you go to that Watch Live tab, uh, that will take you to our live page where we're streaming live right now. Or the direct link, you can type straight into your browser, ccftucson.online.church, ccftucson.online.church. That's our live page. Or follow the link from CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. You'll see us live there. You can sign in with a username. And there's a chat function. I'll be right there with you. You can send in your question to us through that method. When we're offline, you'll see a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown to our next show. So you can sit there and just count down to your heart's content so you won't have to miss anything at all. We're on Facebook as well, live on Facebook, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or look for Calvary Christian Fellowship uh, of Tucson on Facebook. And uh, you can send your question in through the comments attached to the video right there as well. Don't forget to like and share. We sure appreciate that. We appreciate our Facebook viewers and us, uh, just you sharing us around as we continue to get out there with the word. We have an app for your mobile device as well. Once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. You can download that and uh, watch us right there on the app. There's messages archived there as well and um, sort of schedule of upcoming events and all kinds of goodies there for you as well on our app. We have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So go to your channel store and add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, if you have that capability. 
we're live on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. We're live there. Once again, please like and subscribe. Click on the notification bell if you'd like a notification when we're live, a little prompt, a little reminder. Uh, that live tab, anytime you've been live, it archives there for you. So that's a great resource if you um, missed a show or you want to recap a question. We also post um, questions of the week. Something just happened to my laptop. So let me fix that <laughs> before we go any further, <laughs> hopefully. Oh, you're not happy at all. Yep, I think the program crashed. So I'm just going to have to finish this just verbally looking at my face while I fix that. Um, what was the last thing? YouTube. Yes, we're on YouTube. Oh, here it is. We're back. Here it is. I need a new laptop. I've been telling Bo I need a new laptop. And he says, well, go buy one. Um, so I may have to do that. <laughs> um, I think he's being passive, aggressive there. But Scott Richards, we're back. Uh, we're on uh, Twitter as well, or X as it's being called. The platform formerly known as Twitter, Pastor Scott Richards. His handle is Scott R4H, Scott, letter R, number four, letter H on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, sorry, X, I should say, if you follow along with him, he posts commentary. Right now, so much going on in the world, out in the Middle East, uh, in Israel, certainly things that relate to end times and biblical prophecy and those kind of things. So if you follow along with him, you'll get uh, uh, up-to-date kind of commentary going along, if you would like to do that. We're on Rumble as well, not live on Rumble, but uh, we post video archives there. Um, for your enjoyment. So a reason for hope Bible Q&A and then our email address questionsforhope at gmail.com questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com You're welcome to email us there as well especially if you listen to us on the radio uh, keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded basically after the show we upload our uh, show to the radio station and they play it the next day so that's what you're listening to but all those other platforms are live as can be, but questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you're listening on the radio, keep that in mind. You can send us your question and we'll get to that on our next show. Wherever you're joining us, you are very welcome. And please do send in your questions and we'll try and parcel out the time for those questions um, on our show today. With all that being said, I got through it. Got through <laughs> you it did. without choking you did. technical issues. Uh, why don't we pray? And just offer this time to, to the Lord, Scott, would you like to do the honors? I would love to do all that. Right. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your spirit who is here to guide us into all truth. And thank you, Lord, that that truth is embodied in the essence of who your son is. Lord, we pray that we would come to know you better as a result of exploring questions together. We pray, Father, that uh, you would allow us to become more like Jesus in our character and uh, have a more uh, close and abiding walk with you. Then when all this started, Lord, that's certainly our intention, knowing you and making you known. We pray that you would facilitate that, that all around the world, as a result of uh, what we talk about here today, your word would come into sharper clarity and focus, and uh, speaking the truth in love, we would grow up and become everything that you created us to be when you called us to be your dearly loved sons and daughters. We give you this time, and we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Scott, often you give us an update of what's going on at the Middle East? Do you have anything to share today? Uh, certainly. Uh, I guess the, the big question always is uh, what not to share. Uh, there's just an awful lot going on uh, in the Middle East at this particular time. Uh, some of uh, the developments going on, uh, the um, brouhaha between Iran and the United States continues apace. However, uh, our policy uh, seems to be one of appeasement and backing down. 
Uh, Iran has drawn a hard line saying that if the United States uh, made any kind of attack on Iranian soil, that Iran would uh, respond forcefully to such a gesture uh, and that uh, no uh, U.S. interests in the Middle East would be off limits to them. Uh, our immediate response, our president said that we do not want a wider war in the Middle East, which I think we could read as saying uh, we're just going to let this whole thing simmer down and go back to the status quo in spite of the fact that uh, three American soldiers lost their lives in a completely supported and uh, enabled attack uh, by an Iranian-backed militia on a U.S. base in the country of Jordan, which I think is not only very sad, uh, I think uh, it is uh, also uh, inviting more and more conflict. Uh, speaking thereof, the Houthi rebels continue apace in uh, the area around uh, the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf area. They do not seem to be slowing down. Uh, they have claimed uh, prior to airtime uh, the sinking of another tanker, the severe damaging of it at the very least, by the name of coal. That is all they will say. Uh, we're awaiting uh, confirmation on whether that was uh, bluster or uh, the actual events. Uh, over the weekend and uh, over the last few days, there have been a number of uh, different reports about extreme pressure being put on uh, the Israeli government, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, to uh, go along with some kind of a negotiated settlement uh, with Hamas uh, that would in entail the release of at least some of the hostages in exchange for literally thousands of uh, Hamas terrorists that are being held in Israeli prisons, uh, already convicted of murder and, and so on. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu responded to this by saying, I hear statements uh, about all kinds of deals, so I want to clarify, we will not end this war with less than the achievement of all of our goals, which means the elimination of Hamas, the return of all of our hostages, and a promise that Gaza will no longer pose a threat to Israel. We will not remove the IDF from the Gaza Strip, and we will not release thousands of terrorists. None of this will happen. What will happen? Absolute victory. So I think he has been uh, pretty definitive as far as uh, what uh, his position is going to be. Uh, the United States, on the other hand, uh, has uh, decided uh, to uh, start to hedge its bets a bit. Uh, about its support of the uh, UN uh, uh, Refugee uh, Works Agency that uh, really has been a wholly owned subsidiary of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Uh, they're talking about, uh, well, just making this a pause rather than a complete withdrawal of funds and support. Uh, your United States uh, tax dollars going into uh, UNRWA have essentially uh, been supporting Hamas in their terrorist activities and their fight uh, against uh, Israel. Uh, the, uh, the other uh, details uh, that seem uh, to be coming out in all of this is that uh, there is a bit of give and take going on as far as uh, Hamas is concerned uh, and uh, the United States uh, support of uh, Hamas, uh, but uh, it does appear that the United States is backing off. Interestingly, uh, the USS uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the carrier support group that has been there in the Middle East uh, with mixed results as far as making any kind of impact on the Houthi rebels, is uh, withdrawing and is going to be replaced by an aircraft carrier group dispatched from Great Britain. So 
whether this means the United States is backing off its presence or uh, whether it's being perceived as such as a result of uh, all of this, uh, we're, uh, we will uh, have to uh, wait and see. So uh, lots going on there. Our State Department is also talking about the um, end game, if you will, the after effect, uh, with them pushing very strongly for the establishment of a Palestinian state uh, with security guarantees for Israel. I don't know how you can do that. It's almost like saying we'd like to give you some dry water uh, right now. But uh, that's what our State Department is saying, whether that is what you have to say in the, the world of international diplomacy, how sincere they are about it. Uh, we will uh, leave uh, future events to reveal. But the idea of rewarding the Palestinians uh, with a state after using a territory they wholly administered uh, as not only a uh, launch pad for uh, repeated and consistent missile attacks against innocent civilians in Israel, but also uh, the uh, notion uh, of uh, the terrorist attacks on October 7th. Uh, the idea of reestablishing that or formalizing that kind of arrangement seems rather crazy to me. So uh, these are the latest developments going on there. Pray again for Israel, pray for their leadership, pray for the leadership here in the United States that we would stand as a uh, firm and unconditional ally of uh, Israel. And by the way, uh, a, uh, our friend Amir Serfati reports uh, that IDF fatalities since the start of the October 7th massacre have now risen to 560 uh, casualties uh, as far as Israel is concerned. So they are definitely paying a price for this endeavor. Mm. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And be before I forget to say tonight, we're starting a new book study on our Wednesday evening service. And you said there was a lot of correlations in the book of Esther um, to what's going on in the world right now. Is that something, do you want to comment on that? Well, uh, I would encourage people uh, to, uh, to come on out for it. I think it's fascinating to study the book of Esther because uh, the, uh, the, uh, the book of Esther, one commentator uh, speaking about uh, who and uh, what the purpose of the book was all about. There's a lot of different debates about that. Uh, everyone from Mordecai, who appears in Esther, has been suggested as an author, to an anonymous author. Uh, that it was part of the uh, 90,000 Israelis who returned to the land uh, after uh, the, uh, the King Cyrus of, uh, of the Medo-Persian Empire uh, gave uh, the right for them to return. Uh, the vast majority stayed in, in uh, the area of the Medo-Persian Empire during that time. And one of the fascinating things about the book of Esther is, is that God is never mentioned by name. No one mm -hmm. prays in the book of Esther, and uh, the book of Esther is not quoted or cited in any New Testament passage whatsoever. Mm. And, and so when we see uh, this going on, the big question is, okay, why uh, is there no mention of prayer aside from God has raised you up, or perhaps you've been raised up for such a time as this, uh, is that the book of Esther is a really interesting picture of the unseen hand of God in uh, a, uh, an area we call providence. Uh, although God doesn't come on the scene, he is not even addressed in the book, certainly we do see that God is the one who raises up kings and sets down kings. He is the one who puts people in positions of power and protects his people, even when his people aren't necessarily looking for his protection. And so when people talk about Israel 
uh, being largely a secularist nation, and the vast majority of people in Israel would identify themselves as culturally Jewish, but probably more atheistic or agnostic in uh, their orientation. Uh, once again, we see this doesn't slow God down a bit. So we're going to be able to see, as God worked in the events described in the book of Esther, uh, how uh, there is really a pattern for how God is working in Israel, even in our day. Wow, awesome. So Very again, interesting insights. Yeah, so that's our Wednesday evening service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you're in the Tucson area, come on down, 6.30 p.m. Uh, or we're streaming on the same channel. So half an hour after we finish with the Reason for Hope, we'll be streaming live as well. So you can join us for that. But and if you've ever seen the movie The 300, we're going to uh, get introduced to the guy who's portrayed as kind of a big giant with a lot of uh, like tattoos and jewelry on his head tonight. And on that <laughs> note, repent. That was not a godly movie. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll hope you join us for that. And thank you for that. I saw the TBS well. version. It was edited. Yeah. <laughs> and very slowed down. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Well, we have some questions that are coming in, if you guys are ready to yeah. jump on into those. I had a question from Terry. Uh, Terry says, I have a question. You've come to the right place. Uh, God instructed Noah that two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every creature that moves around on the ground will go to Noah, and Noah is to take them on the ark. Then in uh, 7, 2, chapter 7, verse 2, God instructs Noah to take seven pairs of clean animals one pair of unclean animals and seven pairs of birds with him on the ark. How do these instructions work together? I'm sure God has a plan where these two commands work together, and I'm overlooking it. I look forward to hearing from you all. And I guess Terry's leading a Bible study this weekend. So Yeah. The well, notice what you just did. You looked at chapter 6, and you quoted verse 19. It says, Of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort to the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Then you went to the next chapter and got more information where there was a distinction between the sort of animals you could eat, the clean animals, and the unclean animals, the ones you can't. It or animals seven. fit for sacrifice. And yeah. that's the yeah. answer, but yeah. we'll get to that yeah. in a second. When we go to chapter 7 and verse 2, it notes, you shall take with you seven of every clean animal, male and female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. So there's noting a purpose and preservation here. You need male and female of every species, each according to its kind. That doesn't mean every possible genus, the structural adaptations were filled in later on. But when we're asked the question then, okay, so is it two, is it seven? Well, I think grade school addition could sort this out already and noting that if you have two of something and you have seven of something, the fact you have seven of something means that the two didn't disappear. It's been added to five more. Right. So it's not as if these are negated. There's an addition and a preference to the clean animals, which is what you were getting into. Why quote chapter 6 and verse 19, then go to the next chapter in verse 2 and find more information? It's almost as if you read this chapter by chapter. Well, let's keep that pattern up. Let's go to chapter 8 and verse 20, where after the floodwaters have receded and the animals have been dispersed, it says, and Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And then the covenant of Noah is established. So in this, we're told that Noah exterminated the existence of all birds and all clean animals, correct? Correct. 
exterminated them? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, he took <laughs> no, the no. extra animals and offered them. There's also That would be a problem if he had wiped them out. Yeah, those <laughs> are the only two left, and for some reason he gave them as an offering. No, the point is what? The extra animals were in speculation, possibly for food. While they were on the ark, they'd eat something. Also could have been for this purpose, which is in the text, and I think that that's absolutely founded. You go to one chapter, you read the next chapter. What's up here? Well, addition-wise, seven also includes the number two. But then you go from that chapter to the next chapter, you keep this trend up, you start to learn more information, just like you did from six to seven. Eight gives you the answer, they were sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah, so in other words, uh, it wasn't, I mean, the, the traditional Sunday School 101 version of the story, you know, you have uh, the animals, they went in, they went in by twosies, twosies, elephants and kangaroosies. Uh, isn't that how it goes? Yeah, yeah, I think it was elephants and kangaroosies. I, I've, but, uh, I've traumatically blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, sometimes we Sunday School 101, these things that fail to take the whole scriptural uh, picture, and just like you said, Sean, uh, Two is something that fits very nicely under the, uh, the pattern of seven. Uh, one of the reasons for the additional other animals, the clean animals involved sacrifice and uh, animals that were fit to be eaten. And so that's why you have that uh, difference there. Got it. Thank you. Terry, thank you for your question. Hope that helps you out. And blessings for your study this weekend. Good job on you for really getting these things under your belt. I know when you teach something, it's... Uh, you learn the most of, of anyone <laughs> in your preparation, making sure you've covered all the bases there. So that's great stuff. Thank you, Terry. Uh, a question from Talon. His question is, uh, will we have sadness or negative emotions in heaven? Talon expressed he's kind of a melancholy guy and he wonders if he would still be that way in heaven or will he suddenly have a more cheerful demeanor? But are there any negative? Will we have sadness or grieving or tears? Are those negative emotions? That's a good question. Those are emotions, and they have yeah. a purpose. If negative emotions are quote-unquote sinful, then God's sinful and in violation against his own nature. Because while we're in Genesis, you can go to chapter 6 and note that God was grieved when he looked on man. Now, why would something so negative and sinful be a part of God's nature? Well, it's almost as if it's not sinful. Hint, hint. Mm. So if we're asking the question then, and this is probably what you have in mind, Talon, uh, Revelation 21 and verse 4, where it notes, there will be no more death, nor sadness, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There is a purpose towards sadness or recognizing wrong. There is a purpose towards anger or recognizing injustice. There is a purpose towards these quote-unquote negative emotions. The reason why we call them negative isn't because they're negative, it's because we so easily abuse them, or at least, at best, misuse them. So if we're asking the question, is sadness going to be a part of heaven? Well, humanity will be. <laughs> a relationship with God will be. And when it talks about God wiping away every tear from our eyes, that implies there were some, but that's not in itself a negative thing. It's an opportunity for comfort and intimacy. So if we then take another step back and ask, what then is the right way to go about this? The book of Ephesians has plenty of examples in noting, not let the sun go down in your anger, be angry and do not sin, nor give, uh, give place to wrath, for God will be the one to avenge those sort of things. But when we're talking about just negative emotions in general, there are sinful attitudes that aren't necessarily emotions, regardless of what Pixar would tell you. Envy isn't an emotion, it's a abuse 
of a desire for exclusivity. Wrath isn't an emotion. It's an abuse of the concept of anger, which God also expresses righteously. We need to be careful with the moniker of negative to an emotion that we have as a result of being made in the image of God. The fact that we mess something up doesn't mean it's inherently evil. We're inherently evil, and we're using those things, thus they get messed up. But they're not the issue in of themselves. Yeah, and I, the only thing I'd add to that, uh, Talon, is the one thing we know for sure, uh, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, is we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We get to heaven, we are going to be completely like Jesus. Okay, what does the Bible say about Jesus? On the one side of the coin, uh, we are told in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. In other words, uh, you've never been around a more bright and cheerful and joyful person than Jesus. On the other side of the coin, uh, Isaiah 53 says that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, Jesus uh, experienced and demonstrated the whole spectrum of human uh, emotions, uh, the emotions that we humans experience because they flow from his very nature as God. When we are perfected, we'll be able to experience all of those things in perfect balance. Uh, no longer will they be painful in a sense for us, in the sense of doing anything that is destructive, they'll all be constructive. Uh, you know, our ability uh, to become more and more like Jesus is gonna go into absolute fast forward uh, when we get to heaven. I don't think we'll ever stop uh, growing in that respect, ever stop learning uh, more and more about the awesome wonders of God when we get to heaven. I don't think we're just gonna be in some kind of static, well, I've arrived kind of a place. But, uh, but the, the wonderful thing is that uh, God is going to use all of these things uh, in our lives to make us like his son. So, uh, you know, I've been a Christian since uh, 1973, a lot of water under the bridge uh, since then. And, uh, you know, there's been areas where I've seen where I've grown in Christ-likeness. There's other areas where I look at my life and I kind of groan because I see how far I have to go. Uh, when we are in heaven, we won't have any of the inhibitors of our fallen selfishness, our fallen sin sinful nature any longer to keep us from becoming like Christ, but it's going to be our experience for all eternity as well. Mm. Can't wait. Let it be soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until yeah. then. Soonest. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Taylor, and hope that helps you out with that. Appreciate your question today. A uh, question from Dan. Do intelligent people believe in science and evolution and less intelligent people believe in the Bible and creation? Now, this is actually... Well, that's a caricature. Yeah, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I thought of it when I was much younger, you know, through high school. That's kind of how I viewed it. Like, if you, if you believe in science and you're intelligent, then evolution, or you can believe in this alternative thing of religion and the Bible. That's kind of okay, how it was presented. Let's just, let's just start with, I mean, when we say believing in science... Uh, if you, uh, you've got to define your terms. When yeah. someone says, uh, are people who believe in science more intelligent than those who believe in creation? The first question is, okay, how do you define science? If you're saying the scientific method, mm -hmm. which by the way was created by Bible-believing Christians, uh, times uh, Christian worldview was what gave us the scientific method. It didn't arise in a Buddhist worldview. It didn't arise in, in a, you know, a number of other different, uh, it wouldn't have arisen from Greek or Roman thought. Uh, it arose from uh, basically a Christian worldview. So, you know, when, uh, when we say science, uh, you know, are we saying that, uh, that, that you believe in things that can be verified as far as reality goes? 
by uh, hypothesis, experimentation, and replication, uh, well, I don't think any Christian would have uh, any kind of problem with that. But uh, here's where we get into trouble. There's uh, what we would call operational science, which I've just described, uh, and then there's historical science. That is trying to take uh, observations we can make about reality in the here and now and then extrapolate them back to be able to uh, create ideas about what previous reality was like, a reality that is beyond the realm of the scientific method to be able to verify or falsify. Uh, if you say, if that's what you mean by science, uh, things uh, mentioned by scientists, well, um, you know, uh, I think that's a different kind of a thing. Uh, so uh, when we say, do you have to be less intelligent to believe in creation and more intelligent to believe in, say, this uh, naturalistic, I don't even like to use the term scientific, but a, na a philosophy of naturalism, that all things can be explained by natural process without any resort to a creator. Okay, well, um, you tell me, uh, does it make sense? that the is an intelligent thing to say that the entire universe as we understand it is one big uncaused effect that in the beginning was a big bang we don't know how it happened it just did okay do we is it a sign is it more intelligent or less intelligent to say uh that something so uh, you know incontrovertibly complex and showing of design, like say the DNA molecule, just arose by a nice roll of some chemical dice. Uh, do explosions in print shops really make encyclopedias? Is that an intelligent statement? Well, you know, once we once we start working through these things, then we've got to ask ourselves a question: um, Are we back to what Romans chapter one says? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, because the fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." Uh, to to deny a creator in light of the overwhelming evidence for the creation to me seems kind of silly. Anything you did add to that? Well, when you're talking to people in these terms, dumb people believe X and smart people believe Y, what you're literally witnessing is the definition of cult tactics. You want to be among the smart people, don't you? Well, then you have to join our group because only the stupid people believe the other group's views. And that can work with anything. And if I can use it just as much forcefully, for, excuse me, forcefully against your position, then there would be no reason for me to believe it's consistent because nothing in that statement, creation equals dumb, science equals smart, or at least mm -hmm. scientism equals smart. Because then I could say, hey, you wanna be smart? Only creationists believe in, or, or only smart people believe in creationism. Meanwhile, and, and he mentioned like, oh, well, they use bad grammar and stuff. Everyone's going to make mistakes in grammar. The question isn't whether or not they enunciate these things correctly. You could perfectly grammatize a presentation that tries to explain 2 plus 2 equals 5. It's not going to make it true. Someone who <laughs> is still learning English 
could accurately give a conclusive statement about 2 plus 2 equaling 4, but not get all the grammar right. The fact that they're attacking the grammar means that the idea isn't something they want to deal with. This is what you have to examine. Are the ideas good? Not necessarily the people who are being showcased as the spokesman for him. Right. Yesterday we didn't have the best uh, program because we were addressing an issue that I wasn't necessarily read up on, or at least didn't have the time to prepare for. Does that mean I don't know anything? No, but it means that I didn't know much about that topic when we were addressing it. Does that mean that you throw out everything else in the program? Some people might try to lead you that direction, but is that rational? No. So if I say, oh, well, only Star Wars people are intelligent and Star Trek people are dumb, first off, you'd have some <laughs> objections. Well, and that's true. But the Star Trek people could say, only the Star Trek people are smart and the Star Wars people are dumb. And that's illogical. Yeah, and then <laughs> upon the advent of Disney, I'd side with Professor Spock if Paramount hadn't gotten to him first. But the point being made is this. If you run into people who are trying to manipulate you like that, focus on this bad example and only allow the representation of these good examples. And those are the sole authorities on how you could determine conclusions on these things. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I'm a fan of debates because I enjoy hearing, first off, the best put forward about ideas I don't even believe in so that I can accurately represent them with talking to people who maybe haven't thought those issues as much through, but they can at least see firsthand I take them seriously enough to have heard them out, not just before, but still am now. I'm listening. Yep. But if on the other hand you say someone has a bad debate or a topic and you say this disproves all Christian views because this guy, oh, he got upset and this and that. Well, whether that's true or not, there are other Christians that have made better points. This is the reality. When someone says that A is stupid and B is smart, you want to be a part of B because they're not A. Well, you have to examine the ideas, not the individuals associated with them. That's the point. Right. Now, we can, again, define our terms, provide illustrations, give real-life explanation application. Hopefully we've done that. If you want good resources talking about creationism, don't go to, regarding your original comment, your uncle who misspells words sometimes, go to Answers in Genesis and hear their cases for it and the debates that they've been a part of. If you want a fair and level-headed view of evolutionism may, or evolutionary biology, don't just go to the atheist side of it where they disagree. Maybe hear from Christians and their reasons to justify these sort of things. Hear the arguments out. We personally would believe in a creationist and a literal rendering of Genesis 1 through 10, but that's neither here nor there. Don't believe it because my pastor or the quote-unquote smart guy believes it. That's cult tactic. That's, well, that guy said it, that settles it, because he's the smart people, and I want to be associated with the smart people. On the other hand, say, this is smart because I've actually tested the idea, not the individual who, at this moment, is trying to manipulate me into avoiding positions other than his own. Because even if they say evolution these days, and I'll just throw this out there, what kind there are many. The most popular one that's being enforced and taught in public schools is abiogenesis macroevolution through means of natural selection. There are dozens of different theories of evolution, some of which even a Christian can agree with, like structural adaptation, for example, within a kind or species, uh, right. diversity of species, but with a common ancestor of that kind, not a necessarily tree of Darwin, but a branch of many different kinds of species. There's nothing that the Bible would protest to in that regard. But if we are talking to people about these issues, 
make sure the issues are the topic, not the people. Right. Makes sense. Great. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Dan, for your question. Hope that helps you out with that. Great topic. Like I said, I certainly ran into that uh, when I was younger, that kind of attitude. So I hope that helps you. Question from, from Guy or G. Either way, did God create more than one universe and more than one dimension? Are heaven and hell different dimensions? Is that one way that we can see it? What do we know about that? Are there other universes, other people, other whole planets with uh, God working in those people? Do we know anything about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as like the stuff we get from Marvel Comics, uh, where like, what... what uh, universe are we like 600 and something? 16 i think yeah. at least that's yeah. the yeah. movies go yeah. off of. and and there's actually a universe that's just like our universe where you don't have superheroes so right. that explains everything right yeah. you know to me and what do they call it a MacGuffin, uh a uh, plot device that uh, helps uh, writers out of uh, uh, corners. corners they paint themselves into uh, I don't know if that's a really great way to look at reality. But what does the Bible say about reality? I mean, I guess it depends on how you define your terms. When you say a different dimension, um, are we talking about a universe within a universe, uh, you know, the universe next door, these sort of things? Uh, or are we talking about a physical realm and a spiritual realm? Well, the Bible's pretty adamant about the fact that uh, there is such a thing as the spiritual realm out right. there, uh, that there is an unseen world out there that has definite effects on uh, those of us that are in the world that we perceive with our five senses. Uh, we are told, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So, you know, again, when we hear about Satan being described as the prince of the power of the air, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, he's floating on a cloud someplace. It just means that he is in a spiritual dimension. Uh, we see for examples, for instance, of the Elisha and his servant uh, being tracked down by special forces sent by the king of Syria. And uh, the Elisha's servant said, oh, you know, we're here in Dothan, we're surrounded. And uh, Elisha said, uh, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Open his eyes. And when he did, he saw chariots of fire and uh, angels uh, all about them uh, to defend them. Now, this is not something that you perceive with the five senses. So if uh, we're going to say, is there a realm of the physical world that we can perceive with the five senses and a realm of the spiritual world that is beyond our abilities in the five senses uh, to be able to perceive, unless God opens our eyes to that, then I think that's uh, an accurate scriptural worldview. But to speculate on uh, universe after universe after universe, one of the reasons that the this multiverse... Uh, theory is uh, gaining traction is once again uh, you have uh, evolutionists who find themselves uh, in a real quandary. Uh, those who are naturalists, those who say that everything can be explained by natural process, uh, look at the universe that we're in right now and uh, the math doesn't add up. Uh, there's just not enough time uh, not enough uh, matter and energy and so forth that isn't being affected by the second law of thermodynamics where it's all running down and falling apart to be able to explain 
how we got to the situation that we're in. Ah, but if there's another dimension out there and maybe some sort of interaction with that other dimension took place, uh, then you know suddenly, oh, we've got more time to play with and we've got more possibilities to play with. And uh, you know, in the multiverses of multiverses of multiverses, you know, it's the whole thing about if you put enough chimpanzees in a room with typewriters, sooner or later they'll type Hamlet. And what uh, reasons do you have to believe that such things exist? Faith. And what is that faith located in? Naturalism, or in this case, magic, because it hasn't been and can't be observed since it would be fundamentally different from our universe in every way. Yeah, so they just sort of assume that if you've got a, you know, a quadrillion and billions and billions beyond that, universes out there, in one of them, uh, the role of the chemical dice was just right, and so we have DNA because you have billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of other universes to roll the dice in. So it's just really, in a sense, a MacGuffin, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, a plot device to be able to explain away the just-so story of uh, incredibly complex life uh, arising by raw matter and energy interacting with chance. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else to add to that? Not on that. Um, mm -hmm. Real real quick mm -hmm. um dan also made a note in saying he has people in his life that say that you just can't know anything for certain ask them if they know that for certain yeah that's a good point yeah <laughs> if you so. can't know anything for certain except for that then you can know something for certain which is that but then that would mean that that is false because you could know something for certain yeah. my brain just logic's exploded. fun <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for that question. Uh, I hope that helps you out with that. A question from Bob. I was wondering about the eventual post-Gaza war in that what does Scripture say about the remaining Palestinians who have lost everything? They're going to continue to follow the whims of a terrorist and pedophile who ultimately wants to seek their destruction just like anyone else who follows that satanic cult. The only hope for them is for them to know that there is a God out there that loves them, that died for them, that doesn't call them to hate and, die, and cause others to die for his sadistic whims. Yeah, I think that nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, but I think that to, to sum it all up, um, the answer is ultimately spiritual. Uh, if people keep doing the same things, uh, but expecting different results. I think Einstein called that the definition of insanity. If you keep following these same spiritual guidelines and directions that essentially tell you uh, that uh, the only way to be assured of your place in heaven uh, is to die in jihad, you're gonna have people dying in jihad. Uh, it's a spiritual conviction that has to happen there. What we really need to be praying for is uh, for ministries, uh, some of them led by former members of the PLO and Hamas, uh, to be able to share. And you know, there's some hopeful signs. Uh, you know, some of the posts I saw, for instance, on Amir Sarfati's uh, 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 Telegram page, included uh, one Palestinian that said, "We are sick of Hamas. We are sick of all of this. We are sick of them living in luxury hotels." and having all of this security while we're starving to death. We're sick of watching uh, our people being shot just for trying to take a food truck off, or, off of a UNRWA uh, supposed uh, humanitarian uh, aid uh, distribution. Uh, you know, evil always overplays its hand, Bob, and uh, hopefully uh, the evil that is going on there sooner or later is going to uh, demonstrate itself to be something that can't be sustained. So we really need to be praying 
for uh, the good news of Jesus Christ to reach those people and to make a significant change in their lives. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Bob, for that. We're tearing through some questions today. Yeah. Barely <laughs> um, yesterday. Have had, our, had our coffee before the show or something. Yeah. Uh, question from Yari. Why would God let some animals perish, uh, the Nephilim, etc.? Were there some species and animals that perished in the flood or since? I mean, what is the, the dodo bird? Well, uh, I guess maybe the, the, the most direct answer to all of this is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 18. Why does the whole creation suffer right now? Um, why is it that, you know, we see, uh, like, I, I was brought up watching documentaries, and, and I thought dolphins were really nice and, <laughs> and, and, you know, very intelligent, and it was Flipper, and, and you know, what, Bud's lost? Flipper, tell us where, you know, and then you find out that, uh, you know, there's these alpha male dolphins that will see uh, a female dolphin giving birth to someone that is not their offspring and kill all the kids. Dolphins! I mean, we're not even talking about what the, the orcas do and things yeah. like this. So, you know, when we think, oh, innocent animals, you know, just suffering like this is such a terrible thing. Well, actually, the Bible tells us why this previously very good creation, which was free from predation, by the way, was free from sin and death, has gone astray. In the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 18, we read, for, considering the, uh, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now notice who's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the creation itself. For the creation was subjected to futility, literally emptiness or vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. So, you know, what the scriptures say in there, in essence, is one of the reasons that we see innocent, seemingly innocent animals suffering is they ain't so innocent, mm. first of all. Mm. Uh, man was given uh, dominion over the creation, so the spiritual decisions that we made to either be in a living relationship with the God who is life and truth and holy, or to rebel and not choose nothing, but choose the opposite, yep. uh, to live in rebellion against God, to live in sin and selfishness, and God warned us what the consequences would be on the day that you eat of it, dying you shall die. Yep. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, they fell over dead the minute, uh, that the day that they ate, from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it does mean that sin and death principle began to dominate. And so uh, when we take a look at those sort of things, and you know, again, I'm an animal lover and I have a compassionate heart, and you know, it's awful to see, say, an animal get hit on the roadside and you know, die Even like that. Even after your yeah. cat attack last week. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I still... You still have yeah. compassion. Yeah, I still have compassion. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, when, when I see these things happening, there's part of me that says, and guess what? I've got no one to blame but myself. Right. Because it was our sin that messed up this perfectly good creation. But the good news is that the entire creation is going to be renewed. Mm. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where the former things, like we mentioned earlier like pain and suffering and sin and sorrow are going to be a uh, dim memory of the past. So uh, that's 
something not just as a hope for us as believers. According to Paul here, the whole creation's waiting for that, right? Including the animal kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I'm I'm still wondering why, in the name of Nergal's guard and the Nephilim, were brought into this. For those of you who aren't familiar, the term Nephilim is Hebrew for fallen ones. It's mentioned and basically limited to Genesis chapter 6, where it notes people of great renown were in a fallen relationship with God. And the next chapter goes on to detail how their influence on the world produced violence, unbridled, that the only people who still had a stable relationship with God were known as family. Now, there's controversy among Christian circles, the more superstitious and spiritualized groups that say, oh, well, you see, sons of God is a term that has been applied to angels in certain contexts. So when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and took wives for themselves when they chose, well, that means that these half-angel hybrids were uh, thwart from the demonic to try to undo God's plan of salvation, because Hebrews notes that God does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the sons of Abraham. So you see our salvation's tied into our genetics, and then they go off in this big rabbit trail. When we're talking about the Nephilim being the purpose for the flood, nothing could be further from the truth. It notes that the wickedness of men was the reason why the flood was going to happen, that God saw the wickedness of men's hearts. There was only evil continually, not the Nephilim in particular, not the abomination that was these non-existent demonic hybrids. We're told very explicitly in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that angels, in reference to the resurrection, is a model for how we're to understand a resurrection body. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. What does Genesis 6 say? That these sons of God took wives doesn't say they assaulted them, doesn't say that they just provided some genetic material and then humans did these experiments and whatever. It gets that weird, believe me. We're talking about a topic that describes what essentially was repeated history during the time of the Book of Numbers, where, believe it or not, the Nephilim appear again. It's describing the Canaanites, not demonic hybrids, but just big people, influential people, who also, unfortunately, did not have a relationship with God. And just like in the time of Genesis, what happened? Well, the prophet Balak, uh, or Balaam, sought out Balak, the king of Moab, and offered him a proposal. He tried to curse God by, or curse them in the name of God by conventional means, didn't work for obvious reasons, and he said, I know how you can get their God to curse them. Get your girls over and stir up relationships with those guys, the daughters of men principle that we read about in Genesis chapter 4, and what's going to happen? Well, guys are only going to be able to function the way guys always have. They see a girl that wants to spend time with them and thinks they're attractive, and his brain shuts off, especially the spiritual faculties. And what happened? Well, Israel almost got itself wiped out as a result of this judgment because people were so brazen in their rebellion against God that people were even parading the prostitutes that were being solicited as a result of this attack, that what? He was showcasing it in front of the temple of the Lord, or the tabernacle of the Lord. And what happened? Well, (laughs) the grandson of uh, Aaron went over and put a stop to his shenaniganry. He made his point. (laughs) Put it that way. (laughs) Anyway, let us know if you want more information about that. But when we're talking about the Nephilim, be mindful, not to just throw out these very complicated issues on a subject that's already worthy of addressing on its own. And if we end up having to go in these four different directions, A, it's not going to edify you because you're going to have to sort through 
one question that's already worth thinking about enough, but it's not going to edify the audiences either because then they have to sort through all of these issues that A, they may not even know what we're talking about, B, don't need to get caught up in the controversy unless it's the actual subject of the question, and C, it's not going to ultimately amount to what we're trying to accomplish in this program, and that's edify all of you to further study God's Word, not get lost in the weeds and think, there's no way I can follow all this. Because if you throw out one subject and say, oh, well, uh, why is it that people, uh, animals, etc., go extinct? Fallen sinful world. That's a subject on its own. Now, what about the Nephilim? Okay, whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. Not Careful. Okay. <laughs> Not that uh, we don't mind talking about it. Yeah. But one at a time, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Yari, thank you. I hope that helps you out. Good question. We appreciate you. Question from Dan. Does prayer bind and loose demons? Does it allow the Holy Spirit to hover over a believer? This is a big thing that you topic that you hear about praying for demons, casting out demons, binding demons. Is that something that we need to be doing as Christians well, in the church? That's, that's a misunderstanding of two <clears throat> phrases in two different chapters, one of which has even something remotely to do with the demonic. Um, let me start in Genesis, or Matthew, uh, Matthew, the Genesis of the New Testament, Matthew 17. <laughs> uh, I'll read just the verse, and we'll understand what's going on here. It says, Jesus speaking, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That's a reference back to verse 19, where they noted a demon-possessed boy, ironically, that they encountered right after the Mount of Transfiguration, right. where the disciples who weren't called up to witness that revelation of God's glory in Jesus, hint, hint, they didn't have the capacity to cast out demons like they already had before when Jesus sent them out in a group of 70. There were more than 12 disciples. There were 12 apostles, but that's another issue. When we're talking about this situation, Jesus basically calls them out in verse 20. It's saying, you didn't believe me. I'm the answer to these things. And verse 21 concludes the capstone of that statement, noting two ways that people draw close to God, prayer, communication with God, and fasting, making God more of a priority. Now, I don't see a lot of, you know, exorcist films where it's going like, all right, has anyone eaten in the last hour? Have you made sure that you've set aside these sort of... It's examples of people having a closer fellowship with God. Spiritual warfare in a nutshell, set in the book of James, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You answer darkness with the light, not by cursing the darkness or these bizarre rituals that, ironically enough, people historically claim to have gotten from the darkness. Take that what you will. But then when we say, oh, binding and loosing, you got to, you know, bind and loose these things. Well, fortunately, that's just in the next chapter, but it has nothing to do with the demonic. It was regarding right. uh, basically social squabbles and conflicts. You can read verse 15, but the passage in particular, and we could just get right to the point in verse 18 of chapter 18 of Matthew, says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So it's like, oh, so heaven, earth, this is speaking to the spiritual realm. No, the conversation started in verse 15, where he says, Moreover, if your brother is possessed, no, it sins against you. Right. And you're seeking recon uh, reconciliation, excuse me, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. This doesn't mean you exercised him from the demon of conflict. It's saying that you had a squabble, you resolved it. And saying you sort things out here, God's going to agree with you. That's the conclusion to it. Be careful in taking piecemeal terms from the Bible and then building these whole ideas off it like some bad Jonathan Kahn novel. Yeah. 
So, yeah, you know, when, you know, we get involved with certain Christian groups, yep. you'll see people um, sort of following the leader as far as things that they do in prayer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you stop and ask them, um, well, you know, you spent like five minutes of your prayer, you know, talking to Satan, telling him how much you can't stand him and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, that you're going to take authority over him and so on. Um, okay, where do we actually find that in Scripture? Any practice that we have in Scripture should pass three tests. First of all, it should be modeled by Jesus in the Gospels. It should be practiced by the church in the book of Acts very clearly, and it should be further commanded and explained in the epistles. Okay, so when someone says, uh, I'm going to take authority over this demon, well, taking authority, I think, is a little deceptive in and of itself because Jesus already said, all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. Right, that's true. Um, I mean, we already have that authority. I don't have to take it. I've yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh, not because I'm any great shakes, but because the presence of Jesus dwelling in me through his spirit absolutely terrifies the demonic. Now, if we come across the demonic, you mentioned uh, you know, you've had a few encounters with that, and so have I. And, you know, sometimes it's people trying to play like they're demonic, you mm-hmm. know, to get attention and things like this. Or their superstitious family saying they're demonic when in reality they were high. So, yeah. so you know, but the, the bottom line, though, is this. Um, when we take authority over Dean, we can cast them out, just like we see, for instance, in Acts chapter 16. Uh, we can cast those demons out. Uh, but if someone's behaving or acting up in a certain way, in the name of Jesus, come, come out. You know, Sean will bear me witness. When it's a demonic situation, man, it's like they've been hit with a baseball bat. I mean, right. they just, boom, they just stop. Uh, but if they keep carrying on, then you can know that the source of it isn't, isn't spiritual. It's physical or psychological. And, and so we have to be very careful about just glomming onto these terms without really understanding what they mean or where they show up in the Scripture. Thank you for that. Stick around. We're going live in half an hour with our uh, uh, weekly Esther, Bible study. Esther, thank you. For hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.